those home runs is just amazing. So, so we're in a series called Priorities, and I promise you with all of my heart that this is the last sermon in this series on priorities. And we have a memory verse, and uh, last week we had a little bit of a competition between the men and the women. So we're going to do it again because it's the last Sunday, but I need help. And so I've asked Caleb and Alethea, and they did not know what they were getting themselves into, but come on up. And um, Alethea is going to represent the women, of course. Caleb's going to represent the guys. And y'all need to help your team, okay? And so we'll let the ladies go first. We're not going to put on the back screen. We're not going to cheat because cheating's wrong. And, um, and whichever team wins, you win a drink for your entire team, okay? So if the guys win, yeah, we, 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 everybody gets a drink. Girls win, everybody gets a drink, okay? So ladies, let's start with Alethea. Ladies, help her good and strong. Ready? Go. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I don't think y'all did very good on all honesty, but that was okay. You can sit down. You're done. All right, guys, are ready, men? All right, good and strong, ready, go. Jesus said, the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and, and all, all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The guys win! The guys win. So men, everybody gets a drink, take a sip, and pass it down to the next guy. There you go, right there. Okay, y'all did great. Okay, so we're in a series called Priorities. <laughs> Part 12 today, we're going to end with this, vocational promotion. Vocational promotion. We've talked about putting God first. We've talked about family, taking care of ourselves, money management, time management, friends. We're ending the series with, it's time that God promotes you in the workplace. If there's anyone who God wants to be a leader in the workplace, it is his children. It is Christians. And um, we know God wants to promote us in our families. We know he wants to promote us uh, in, in our finances and our health. But for some reason, we feel like when it comes to our work and our job, that we're in control of that. And so if we can just get this person to like me, if we can just get this person to have favor with me, if I can just kiss up to this person, if they can just make these decisions, then I'll get promoted at work. But listen, God is the one who promotes in every area of our life. Psalm 75, 7 says promotion does not come from whether your boss likes you or not. Promotion does not come from Washington, D.C. or the stock market. Promotion does not come from if you have favor with these people that you think are in charge. God's in charge. It doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. God can put one down and he can lift one up. So your promotion, even in the workplace, is only between you and God. So if you're not where you think you are supposed to be or where you think God wants you, you cannot blame it on anybody else except for you. If you will follow the principles I'm going to teach you today, I promise you God will take you exactly where you need to be in the workplace. Um, there's some things I want to kind of go over before we get to our three points. One of them is this, your purpose is not your position. I really want to make sure that all the men in the room understand that your identity cannot come from what you do for a living. Your identity, your self-worth, your confidence is not based on how much money you make men. 
Now, I know the ladies already know this, but men, um, your, 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 your position's going to change in life, right? You're going to make more money here. You'll make less money here. You might get fired from this job, laid off here. You might retire, all that stuff. Your purpose is to fulfill your God-given destiny in all the areas of life. Okay, your purpose is to fulfill your God. Your purpose is to serve God. Your purpose is being a child of God, right? Your position may change. Seasons change in life. You cannot let um, who you are um, um, be affected by what you do for a living. Are, are you understand what I'm trying to say? Um, your purpose, your purpose is to serve God, whether it's at home, whether it's at church, or whether it's in the workplace. In fact, you could look at it like this. You get paid to serve God Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You should look at it like that. And, and the goal is not to um, make more money. The goal is not to climb the corporate ladder. The goal is just to keep serving God and let him take you where he wants you to go in the workplace. Now, when it comes to men and women in the Bible who God did amazing things in their life, they did not have a vocation like they were not in vocational ministry. They were not pastors. The people that God used greatly, they had jobs like y'all have. And I want to show you something. Genesis 13, 2. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. He was a businessman, the father of our faith. Genesis 26, 12. Isaac sowed a seed in the land, reaped in the same year a hundredfold. He was a farmer. Amos 1, 1. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders. He was a shepherd. Nehemiah 1, 11, For I was the king's cupbearer. He was a government agent. A low G man. Matthew 9, 9. Jesus called Matthew a tax collector. He was an IRS agent. That means God can use anybody. Mark 1, 2, 20 says, Jesus called James and his brother John. Immediately, they left their father in the boat with their hired servants. And they followed Jesus. They were small-time business owners. Judges 5, 7 says there was no fight left in them. There was chaos and strife until Deborah arose, a mother in Israel. She was a stay-at-home mom. That was her position, but her purpose was to lead God's people. So your position, if, you, if your position is just to stay a mom, what's going to happen when the kids leave? Your purpose is to serve God no matter what your position is. Acts 18.3, because Paul was the same trade, he stayed and worked for by occupation, he made tents for a living. Colossians, this is the greatest apostle who ever lived, was a tent maker. Colossians 4.14, uh, the beloved physician Luke. One of Jesus' apostles was a doctor, so for any of you weird Christians that think you can't take medicine because you're a Christian, one of Jesus' guys was a Christian. Joshua 2.1. So they came to the house of... Uh-oh. We losing something? Is my battery going dead? Nope, something needs to be muted, I think, around here. Uh, they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. She was a working girl. She was a pretty woman. She was a Julia Roberts. She was a... I can't think of any other movies that I would mind y'all knowing I watched. And so I'm just kidding, totally joking. And God used her. Listen, her position changed, thank God. Her purpose was to serve God and save her family, and she did her purpose, okay? So your purpose is not your position. Here's another thing, men. Your purpose is not your provision. God is your provider. God is your provider, okay? Um, we, we, we know God provides wisdom when we ask. We know God provides peace. We know God provides health and healing. But for some reason, when it comes to money and work, we think, well, God, I wish you could be here, but I guess it's all me. I guess I'm the one that's going to have to do this. No, God provides everything. He provides the creativity you need. He provides the ability to work hard. He provides the energy. He provides the open doors. It's all about God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember this, the Lord's the one that will promote you because you're serving 
Christ. You can quit your job, but you can't quit serving Jesus. You can retire from a position, but you can't retire from fulfilling your God-given destiny. So I need you to, before we get into these three points, I need you to see the, your workplace just like another area that you serve God. Right? You come to church, you serve, you bring water bottles, whatever you do. You serve your family, you take care of your kids. Work is the same thing. You're simply serving God just in another place. Okay? So you're with me? So we got three points. They all start with the letter H. Point number one for your notes is this. Hard work. Everybody say hard work. Proverbs 10.4, laziness will make you poor, but hard work makes you rich. When you see somebody who is greatly promoted in life, rest assured, I don't care if they're Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, they worked hard to get there. It's very difficult to get to a place of promotion without working hard. In fact, everything great in life requires hard work. If you want to be strong and healthy, you got to work hard. If you want to be educated and have knowledge and wisdom, you got to work hard. If you want good relationships with your kids, with your friends, you have to work hard. Everything requires hard work. Um, the principal of our school, Derek Price, he's in the first service. He did the prayer earlier. A great, great guy, just a pure heart, loves Jesus. He texted me the other day he wanted to meet. And I thought, oh, no, what's it about? And he said, no, it's, it's going to be good. I said, okay. So we met. And he said, um, he just, you know, started to weep. He said, I know, I think that God's called me to something even higher than a principal. I said, what do you mean? He said, I think God's called me to one of the five-fold ministry gifts, which is a pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, apostle. And the Bible says those gifts are very rare, very rare. But when he said it, it confirmed inside of me. I said, you know what? I believe the same thing, and we'll train you and work with you to see which area God's really called you to. But when he told me about it, I was not happy for him at all. In fact, to this day, I'm sad for him. Because I thought this, do you have any idea how much work it's going to be? Do you have any idea the relationship issues that will happen? Do you have any idea the rejection that you'll face? Do you have any idea the sleepless nights that you'll have? Do you have any idea of the temptation you'll face? Do you have any idea what's going to go on when you go to a calling like that? When you step up and you go further and further and further, do you have any idea how much work it's going to be? Don't you want to just be principal and be happy and tell people what to do and just go on in life? Anytime God calls us to a higher level, it's always going to be hard work, but it's worth it. It's like um, on career day when David was in middle school, you know. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 12 that he was reddish with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance, which is a, a cross that only some of us have to bear. And it says the Lord said to Samuel, anoint him for he's the next king. So it's career day, right? And Samuel's got a booth set up, and, 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 and Samson has a booth set up to promote his gym and personal training business. And Jonah has a booth set up to promote a sushi business. He was in the sushi business. And Rahab has a booth. No, she doesn't. Okay, and so, so Samuel's booth is all set up, and it says on the banner, uh, next king of Israel, only one position available. Now, don't lie. If you were in middle school, that's the line you would be in, right? You're not going to be in the sushi business. You're not going to be in the Samson business. I hope none of y'all are going to be in the Rahab business. And you'd be right there because it's the next king. And even says on the sign, we'll get to live in a castle, have lots of money, and servants wait on you hand and foot. So all the kids are in this line, and David's at the very back, and Samuel goes through each one, and finally he looks at David and says, you know what? I think you're going to be the next king of Israel. And I bet David was so excited, but Samuel left some things off of the brochure. He didn't really tell everything. He told, yeah, this is going to be great way down the line here. But he didn't say things like, you're going to have to be a shepherd for many years all by yourself in the wilderness. 
you're going to have to, um, when you're working in the palace as a musician, your boss is going to try to murder you on a regular basis. When you finally get into the army and you're in the military, you're going to have to cut off the foreskin of all the men who you kill, put them all in a bag, and take them to the weird king that's asking for it. Now that right there, I would have said, forget it, I'm going to stay a shepherd the rest of my life. He didn't tell David you're going to face a giant, your brothers are going to make fun of you, your father's going to reject you. One of your sons is going to try to murder you and take over the throne. Another son is going to rape your daughter. He didn't tell him how horrible it was going to be. He didn't tell him all the battles he'd have to face. He didn't tell him the years he'd have to run from King Saul. He didn't tell him the temptation that he'd face. And when you fall, you're going to fall so hard. You're going to get her pregnant, murder her husband for nine months. You're going to be so guilty you won't even talk to God about it. The baby's going to die. You're going to be depressed for two weeks. He didn't tell him all that. He just said you're going to be king if you want to go down this path. See, everything great in life requires hard work. There's always going to be sacrifices. Everyone in this room, I think all of you can go further than you are right now. You just needed somebody to tell you, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It says in Acts 13, 36, after fulfilling God's purpose for his life by serving the people of his time, David died. I made you think that his purpose was to be king. That was just a position. David's purpose stayed the same everywhere he went. As a shepherd, my goal is to serve God and serve people. As a musician, my goal is to serve God and serve people. In the military, serve God and serve people. King, serve God and serve people. His purpose never changed. So focus on the purpose, and God will get you to the position he wants you to get to. I heard about this college professor years ago. He um, was passing out the final exam in class, and he told a student, he said, you know, this final exam represents a lot of your grade. It's a big, big deal. And he said, but I want to give you a, I want to challenge you. He said, listen, um, for any of you that want to opt out of taking the test, I will give you an automatic C+. You don't even have to do a single question. You get an automatic C, and then you can go. One hand went up, another, uh, three-fourths of the room. We're so happy to leave class that day, opt out of taking the exam, and take that C+, home with them. But to the students that were left, the professor started to encourage them a little bit. He said, before you take this test, I want you to know y'all are going to do great things in life. Y'all are going to stretch your potential. You're going to go further than you can imagine. You're going to be the leaders in the corporate world. He then passed out the test and told him to turn it over. It had two short phrases on there. It said, congratulations, you just made an A. Don't take the easy way out. Go the extra mile. Work just a little bit harder because you're not working. Well, they don't even see what I'm doing, but the one that promotes you does see what you're doing. And that's the one that matters. Um, in the Old Testament, there was this guy named Isaac. He was rich, loaded. He was the most popular man in the world at the time. And he was looking for a wife. So he asked one of his servants. I assume he really trusted this guy a lot. He said, you're in charge of finding me a wife. Can you think about the, the, the pressure that would be if your best friend said to you, hey, I want you to go on Facebook, Instagram, just whoever you find, I don't even know, I don't even notice you, whoever you find, I'm going to marry. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, you could really hurt somebody that way. if You could really do some damage. Anyway, and so, um, so he gives his servant ten camels to go buy the perfect woman. <laughs> That's just funny in itself. Richest man in the world, and he thinks that, I guess that back then that was a big deal. Can, you know, ten camels for a woman. I can picture like teenagers on the side of the road, like boys, you know, and a girl walks by. I'd give her about three camels for her. <laughs> Maybe four. You know. I don't know. 
Anyway, so the servant takes the ten camels. He goes out into the desert looking for the perfect woman. And after a day's journey, he comes to a well. And he's extremely thirsty. And he sees the most beautiful woman in the world at the well. Her name's Rebecca. And in Genesis 24, 18, it says this. When he asked her for a little, what's that word? I need you to remember that word. He asked her for a little drink. Not a big deal. Nothing big. Just be at your desk at 9 a.m. Well, I'm in the building. No, no. no just be at your desk. Well, I need to take seven smoke breaks today because I'm just not feeling. No, no, no. I'm just I'm asking for something little. Not a big deal. Just do your work. Just do what we're asking of you. She quickly let down her pitcher, held it while he drank. All he asked for was something small. In verse 19, after he had finished, she said, I'm going to get water for your camels also. She kept going back for more until his camels had drunk all they wanted. I did some research. And a camel, when it walks through the desert or wilderness for one day, after one day's journey, it can drink up to 30 gallons of water. Just like that. Do you realize the magnitude of what this woman did? She was asked to do something small, and she thought, you know what? Not only am I going to do this, I'm going to go the extra mile. If I have to dip into this well 300 times to make sure your camels have what they need, I'm going to do that. Do you know who God chose to marry the richest, godliest man on planet Earth? Rebecca. I doubt she ever had to dip into a well ever again after that day. My question to you is this, if you owned the company you work for, would you work any harder than you do now? If you were the CEO, if you were the boss, or if you were the principal, would you, and all of you think, well, of course I would. No, you wouldn't. It's a hard issue. If you won't do it for God where you're at now, you won't do it for God if you get there. It's a hard issue. And you think, well, they don't even see what I'm doing. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he'll turn it any way he wants to. That's a great scripture, by the way. Number two is this for your notes. Honest work. Honest work. Proverbs 2, 7. God provides help and protection for those who are honest and walk in integrity. That means you don't show up 10 minutes late for work. That means you don't play on your phone all day long while you're getting paid. That means you don't take seven smoke breaks when you don't even smoke. Luke 19, 17 says this. Well done, excellent servant. Because you have been faithful with little, I will put you in charge of much. Everybody wants much. Every time I talk to somebody, the problem is I want much. I want much of this. I want much of that. Here's the problem. They're not being faithful with the little things. Don't confuse little with insignificant. The little is what God uses to get you much. If all you've been entrusted with today is something little at work, you're in the perfect position for God to bless you with more. You're anointed to do little things with excellence. Now, we all know we're anointed to slay Goliath, right? We're all anointed to be, you know, influential and popular. You're anointed to do little things like work for $8 an hour just as hard as you would if you were making $80 an hour. I know it's something small. You're anointed to do it. You know what else you're anointed to do, all you Christian business owners in the room? You're anointed to call people back who call your business. Even if they're a little client and you're not going to make a lot of money, you at least call them back to tell them you can't do the job. You know what I see a lot of Christian business owners in Myrtle Beach is they started off so faithful, they started off so uh, with integrity, doing the right things, uh, little things behind the scene, and God starts to bless them tremendously. And then they think, and they, they used to be so excited when their phone would ring, so excited they got a client. Now they're so busy, they're making so much money, they don't even call people back anymore. And they think, well, I'm only going to make $100 off of this client. Nah, we, I wanna, but this one, I make $10,000. I'm going to call them back. 
why don't you start treating people all the same? And, do something. and you know what they'll do too? They realize supply and demand so they can jack up their prices so high, thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it unless they're really going to pay me this. Is that really an honest way to do business when you're a Christian business owner? You're going to lose the very thing that God blessed you with. Go back to the roots of it. In 2 Kings, some of y'all were not smiling at all during that point at all. And I know who you are because you're in Christian businesses. 2 Kings chapter 5 is this. Just kidding. Naaman was the rich captain of the Syrian army who had leprosy. He was very, very sick. So Naaman went out and found the prophet Elisha. Everybody say Shah. You're going to need to know that. Elisha. And Elisha prayed for him. And long story short, God healed, healed Naaman of his leprosy, right? Gave him his life back. But Naaman um, really wanted to bless the prophet for doing it. So in 2 Kings 5, 16, he tried to give him a gift. But Elisha said, no, it's no big deal. You know, God did it. It wasn't me. It's fine. Just go on your way. Well, Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi thought, you know what? I can't believe that he didn't take some money from this guy. In verse 20, he said to himself, my master should have taken Naaman's gift. Now I'm going to run after him and take something from him. He saw it as an easy way to get a little bit of money out the cash register when nobody was looking. Just cheat the system a little bit and nobody will know I can make some extra money. He saw it as a payday for himself. So he runs up ahead to Naaman and in verse 22 he says this, My master asked me to get from you 3,000, this is a lot of money, but Naaman was rich and if someone healed you of cancer, what, what would you give, right? What would you give to be healed again? And so he gave him 3,000 pieces of silver and some fine clothes. Man, Gehazi saw this as a payday, jackpot. Man, I've won the lottery. He could already see where he was going on vacation, wearing his nice clothes by the pool. He gets home thinking he's made a bunch of money that day. And in verse 25, Elisha said to him, where have you been? And Gehazi said, I haven't been anywhere. You know when you lie about stealing the first dollar, it's just as easy to lie about stealing the next $10? It's just easy to lie about seeing the next $100. It goes on and on and on. In verse 26, Elisha said, Wasn't my spirit with you whenever you met me? In other words, the security cameras were on, buddy. We caught you red-handed. We know what you did. And because of what you did, Naaman's leprosy will now be on you. Two things I want you to see from this story. The first one is this. Gehazi's purpose, his destiny, his, the, the plan to fulfill whatever God had for him, it all got ruined by a bad business deal. His purpose was ruined by what he did in the workplace. From this point on, we never hear about Gehazi ever again. Never hear about him again. Here's the second thing I want you to see. If you study your Bible, you can actually find out what promotion God had in store for Gehazi. Have you ever played that really horrible, ungodly, demonic game where you close your eyes and you envision your past and think, if I had just done this different, if I had just made this different, where would God have me at today? Horrible game, don't play it, it's not any fun at all. I've played it too many times. But we can actually see that with Gehazi. We can see exactly what God wanted to do. Now, I told you, remember Elisha. Elijah was a great prophet, my favorite one in the Bible. I named one of my sons after him. Elijah was such a great prophet. He had a servant, he had an employee named Elisha. Because Elisha was faithful with the little things, he was an honest employee, he brought him water, he carried his Bible, did whatever he could to make his boss's life better. Because of that, whenever Elijah retired or died, Elisha got a double portion of his spirit. 
The Bible records seven major miracles under Elijah and 14 major miracles under Elisha. Which means if Gehazi had simply been faithful with the little, if Gehazi had simply done honest work, he would have a quadruple anointing of Elijah. Let me say it this way. He would have had way more than 3,000 pieces of silver and fine clothes. God would use him in such amazing ways, greater than any of the other prophets before him. Don't let something small prevent God from doing something big in your life. I'll tell you a joke before we get to point number three, but this guy, he wanted to take off work so bad, so he lied to his boss, and he said, my grandma died, I got to go to the funeral today, so they let him off early, you know. The next day, he comes into work, and the boss says to him, he says, do you believe in life after death? The guy said, well, of course I do. I'm a Christian. The boss said, oh, that makes me feel so much better because after you left yesterday for your grandma's funeral, she stopped by to visit you. <laughs> Point number three, honor your boss. Wah, wah, wah. Romans 13, 1, obey those who have authority over you for no authority can exist without God's permission. Listen, I know you don't agree. I know you don't like them. I know you think that you could do better if you were in that position. But guess what? You're not. They are. God allow it. Case closed. You honor the position. You honor the person that God put there no matter what. You don't talk about them behind their back. You don't tell all the employees bad things about them. You don't complain. You serve with your whole heart because you're not even serving that person. Again, you're serving God with everything that you do. Uh, one of my top... 20 favorite stories in the Bible. 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 6. We'll read it and then we'll go back over it. When Saul, oh no, wait, don't put it up there yet. Let me tell what's going on. So David knows he's supposed to be the next king. And right now Saul's king and Saul's trying to kill him. Okay? So David's a faithful employee doing his best. His boss is trying to destroy everything so he never gets to that same position. You with me? Okay, 1 Samuel 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness of the Jedis. In, in Gedi, the hard word. Then Saul took three, in, in, in Jedi, in Gedi, anybody? Whatever. Spaghetti. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. Now, David must have been an incredible warrior for someone to bring 3,000 buddies to try to kill him. Three, they, they didn't take that many for Osama bin Laden, right? So three, maybe they did, I don't know. 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to search for David and his men in front of the rocks, the wild goats. On the way, he came to the sheepfolds where there was a cave, and Saul went in to <laughs> relieve himself. I love the Bible. It never leaves out any important detail. Now, David and his men were hiding in the, they were in the stall right next to him. <laughs> David's men said to him, behold, this is the day. I love friends like this. These are some good friends. This is what God was talking about. When God said to you, I'm going to hand over your enemy, he was talking about the dude's going to take a dump and you can stab him in the back. That was the whole thing God said. Behold, this is it. You can do whatever you want to to him now. And then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And David said, God forbid that I put out my hand against him since he's the Lord's anointed. So I always want you to visualize what's really going on in um, 
in the Bible, I never like to really teach you something without you really understanding it. You know, I'm a very visual person, and I, um, I see things differently, so I want to make sure you see exactly what's going on. And so, you know, it's a very, it's a very difficult place for somebody to be. Um, I hope none of you had to use the bathroom. This is probably going to mess you up, but anyway. And so, um, here we go right there. He was the Burger King. Your mom is so old, she knew Burger King when he was still a prince. Okay, so, you know, God doesn't leave out things. I think God is very, very intentional with things that he does. And it says on here, it says that they had to go by the sheepfold to get to where the king was at. David had to pass by the sheepfold to see the crown and the position where he wanted to be. You know, it had been, I don't know, 13, 16 years since David was around sheep. And when he's about to do something that he really wants to do so bad, God lets him pass by the day of small beginnings. You know, the, the road to greatness, it always starts with the road to smallness. And he passed by the road to smallness and he sees the road. He's in between where he came from and where he's called to be. It's a very unusual place to be at in your destiny. You look back and think, what if I had just stayed a shepherd? I'd be happy making minimum wage. I wouldn't have all these troubles. And then you look ahead and you see, but I want to be there so bad. And I could get it if I just do the, if I just, if I could just, if I could just make my boss look bad. If I could just put in a few little lies here and there. If I could just be the one to tell what's, if I could just do this, I could have what I want. But I remember I got to where I am because I was faithful in the sheepfold. It's a very, very difficult place to be. And so David, he's here with his buddies, you know, and they're, they're saying, David, this is it, this is the time. And, you know, David knew this was the anointed of God. So I think his first thought when he saw this was, holy crap. I think that's the first thing he thought. I'm done. I think that's all the jokes I have. And so, so David, <laughs> David's sitting there looking at, man, just one slit of the knife, and it's mine. And all this trouble and all these problems are going to be over. And David's buddies even said to him, this is what God was talking about. This is what God meant. Don't you love when people twist scripture to try to, to, try to make their dream come true? You know, I was in the gym a while back at the Crabtree, and I just got on bench pressing. I bench pressed like 305 last week. I'm normally at 250. My buddy Roman bench presses like 60 pounds, and sometimes 61. And... Um, but these teenagers were there, and they were setting up the bench for three plates on each side for 315 pounds. This teenager, smaller than me, skinny kid, 315 pounds. But he had on this Christian t-shirt, and his buddies were there, and they were ready to spot him. And God is my witness. The teenager got all ready. He's laying on the bench. And I hear him out loud saying this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, and his buddies were like, yeah, you can. Do it for God. Do it for God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they lift up the 315 pounds for him to bench press it. And he said, okay, let go. Boom! He could not do all things through Christ who strengthened him at all. He took that verse out of context. David, this is what God meant. When God said, that tells me that not every door that gets me closer to my dream is actually from God. 
Just because it's door doesn't mean it's from God. Just because what I want doesn't mean it's from God. And so David's buddy said, okay, David, now's it, man. If there was ever a time that the most vulnerable position a man can be in is where Saul's at. And David is in the back of the bathroom. Nobody's there but his buddies. It's like a John Wick movie. I mean, like, it is just perfect. This is the everything, right? And then the music starts. Okay, kill the music. I should have practiced that. So David. He creeps in. And he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. You know, he could have killed him, but he thought this. Well, you know what? I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to embarrass the mess out of him. I'm going to ruin him. I'm going to make him feel so small. I'm going to let him know that I'm better than he is. I'm going to shove it in his face. And David did something he's never done his whole life. From the shepherd to the palace, from the palace to the military, from the military to this position, he's never once cut a corner. But when David does something, he does it with his whole heart. When he loves, he loves with his whole heart. When he serves, he serves with his whole heart. And when he decides to cut a corner, he cuts a corner with his heart. And his conscience bothered him so bad. We don't know what's in our heart until an opportunity arises. We can theorize. We judge people so harshly, don't we? I can't believe they would do If I was in that position, how could they ruin it? How could they? You have no idea what you would do. If you were in their shoes and been through what they've been through, and then the opportunity arises before you, you would do worse. And his conscience bothered him. And he even said, he even said, this is the Lord's anointed. I think he was saying this, we all got problems. And he, the way he's treating me is wrong, but you know what? I've probably treated people wrong before, too. And David had a thought, and this is what I think, he's, uh, I think this came to his mind. I won't become someone I'm not just to have something that I want. In that moment, David realized, oh, all these years I knew God was the promoter. And for some reason in this moment, I thought, it was up to, I, thought, I, thought I was going to promote myself. But he remembered, it's, it's, all, it's all God. Zechariah 4.10 says, does anyone dare despise the day of small beginnings? I hope you don't, because that's what actually gets you to the big stuff. I'll close with this. This is a little quip from a movie. Um, it's from Evan Almighty. You know, Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey, and you got Evan Almighty with Steve Carell. And um, it's this great line. It's such a great line. It says, when somebody prays for patience, does God give them patience, or does he put them in a position where they have to be patient? When somebody prays for courage, does God just give them courage? Or does he put them in a position where they have to walk in a room with their head held high and be courageous? So when we in this room pray for promotion, does God give us promotion? Or does he allow us to be in a small position to see how hard we're going to work behind the scenes? how faithful we're going to be with the little things, and how we're going to treat the people that are over us. I think that's what God does to see how far he's going to take us. How many people had the same opportunity as David and Rebecca, but instead, like Gehazi, they just kept doing what was best for themselves? Don't underestimate the value of small things. Amen?